Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Um, this coming week, I'll be up in Michigan, and I've never heard Lake Michigan referred to as Michigan Lake before. That was, that was a new twist, kind of fun. Uh, this is the 100th anniversary of when my grandparents settled uh, the, the sort of the, started the land that I grew up on up in Michigan, and so we're having just a big family celebration with all the cousins and brothers and sisters and all their families, so that'll be coming up this week, so we're looking forward to that. And, and I have the blessing of taking two of my grandkids up with me, Asher and Eli from Nashville are here with their dad, Josh, and they're going to pile in the truck out there in about a 45 minutes or an hour, and uh, we're going to head north, so we're going to have a good time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these good, good words that were shared both by the youth, the students, and just the blessing that they were to each other and now through their efforts to the folks who will receive these boxes of food. Thank you for the folks who went to Puerto Rico and just how their hearts were stirred and moved in such a profound way and pray that the blessing that they left will linger in the days and weeks and months to come. And Lord, we pray that this will be a part of our DNA as a church, that we will always have the world on our heart, always have a, a desire to serve others, even as you came and served us. We love you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever thought about what you would like your final words in this life to be? Probably not. It's not the kind of thing that most of us think about. Um, but if you, if you look up and do a Google search on final words before someone died, there's some pretty, there's some humorous ones that we won't, we won't touch on those, but there are also some that are pretty profound and interesting. Um, Nostradamus, who is known for his predictions uh, he predicted, uh, tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here. And he was right. He died that night. Winston Churchill's last words were, this is kind of sad. He said, I'm bored with it all. It's kind of sad, isn't it? You, know, you come to the end of your life and that's your final statement. Harriet Tubman, she was dying in 1913. She gathered her entire family around her. They were singing hymns to the Lord and her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. And then Leonardo da Vinci, he apparently was modest to a fault. Think of all the great things that he did with his life and talent that God gave him. His, apparently, his last, one of his last statements was, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. That's remarkable, isn't it? What will your last words be? Um, today we come to the end of Second Peter, and even though these were not Peter's last, last words that he spoke, they were apparently the last words that he wrote. Uh, we've been going through First Peter, now Second Peter, and we've, we know that Peter knew, apparently the Lord had shown him, that his life was about to come to an end. 
And so he was wanting to finish his race really well. And one of the things that he felt obviously a great burden for was to remind the people to whom he wrote of things that were really, really important. And one of the things that Peter wanted, I think, to happen in the lives of the folks to whom he wrote, he wanted them to finish, to run the race that was set before them and to finish strong, to finish really well. And so as we come to the end of Second Peter this morning, that's what we're doing. We're looking at Peter's final words that he wrote to these believers. Um, these were people who had come to faith through his ministry, as well as the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, this letter was circulated among Christians throughout uh, what is today modern-day Turkey. We have a map that we can put up there just to kind of refresh your memory as to the folks who received this letter. And these, as you can see, were also regions that the Apostle Paul, Paul made three missionary trips throughout that region. He wrote several letters, and so actually the people to whom Peter was writing would have read some of Paul's letters as well. And so both Paul and Peter were busy bringing people to Christ, establishing churches where there was no church, strengthening believers, and um, these are the folks to whom Peter was writing these words. And so we're in 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. As you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with error and lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Somehow I missed the last verse. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the end of eternity. Amen. Please be seated. If you were to summarize what Peter says in these last verses, uh, I think you could put it into four two-word sentences, and that's how I'm going to give it to you this morning, just so you can kind of grab it in four little nuggets. The first thing Peter is saying is, finish strong. Finish strong. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot, or blemish. And so Peter is looking to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, back to our planet a second time, when the Lord will return with his angels to gather his chosen people. Jesus said, recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, 
and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, Matthew 24. This is what Peter's been talking about at the end of his letter, the second coming of Christ. He's instructing Christians to have the return of Christ as a primary motivation in how they should finish strong, how they should run the race. You know, we've all got different things that motivate us, don't we? Depending upon what it is, your end goal, there are things that motivate you toward that end goal. If you're going to your 25th high school reunion, you're motivated to look your very best so that people will actually know it's you. And so maybe you are motivated to lose 20 pounds or whatever it might be. If you're getting ready to run a race or to swim in a race, you want to finish well, and so you're motivated to practice. There are lots of things that motivate us. Peter would say here, what is it that motivates you to finish your race strong? And he's suggesting that one of the greatest motivators is the realization that Christ is going to come again, that there is going to be a new heavens, and there are going to be a new heavens and a new earth, that this earth is going to be dissolved, and that you are going to live with God for all eternity. And he wants that to be a motivator as they think about running their race. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us with these words, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all the people who have gone before us in the faith. Okay, we're in the 21st century. He's talking about this great cloud of witnesses, all these people who have run the race before we got into the race. So great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Apostle Paul says, near the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So Peter wants believers to finish strong. And he gives us three reasons for finishing strong. First of all, because of who you are. He wants you to finish strong because of who you are. He says, therefore, beloved. Beloved isn't just a term of endearment. It's not just a, an easy form of address. No, beloved is, Peter is saying, he's reminding them of who they are. You are God's beloved. You are the ones who are especially loved by God. God has set his love upon you. You know, we sing the song, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are, and I am loved by you. That's who I am, who I am. Romans 1, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. This theme runs through Paul and Peter and John, the love of God for his people. 1 Thessalonians 1, we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. John 15, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. See, when you know that someone loves you, is watching you and cheering for you, you want to do your best. You want to finish strong. I remember when 
Josh and Judd and Aaron were on swim teams, and now our grandkids are on swim teams. When, 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 when they were swimming, they would often look up into the stands to see if mom and dad were watching them. And they wanted to do their best. They wanted to finish strong. And I'm sure that's the same with Asher and Eli now that they swim on a swim team with dad at the end of the pool saying, go, E, go, Ash, cheering them on. When you know someone is watching you who loves you, you want to finish strong. It's because of who you are. Paul, Peter, and John often, often come back to the love of God. And brothers and sisters, I just wonder maybe sometimes if we move on, move past that way too quickly. We want to get on with doing whatever it is to prove that we're a good Christian. I think Paul, Peter, and John would say, you need to make sure that you're motivated by the love of God first and foremost. You are God's beloved. Peter also says we should finish strong because of what's coming. Since you are waiting for these, and we know what that is because we've looked at it in the past few weeks, we're waiting for the Lord's return. We're wait, we know what's coming. We know that the day of the Lord is coming. We know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We know that the heavens will pass away. We know that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. We know that the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter says, since you know all of this, we should seek to finish the race that God has given us strong. And then lastly, Peter would say, you want to finish strong because of who it is that you want to please. Who it is that you want to please. He says, be diligent to be found by him. That key phrase was picked up by hymn writer Edward Mote, who in 1834 wrote the very familiar words to the hymn that we, many of us are familiar with. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Edward Mote had these verse, this verse in mind when he wrote those words. You see, when Christ comes the second time, brothers and sisters, first, you want to be found in him. You want to be found in his righteousness and not in your own righteousness. You want to be found in his excellence and his praiseworthiness and in nothing about, you want to be found in all that you can boast about in him. And so when Christ comes, you want to make sure you're found in Christ. But then you also want to be found by him, Peter says without spot or blemish. The spots or blemishes of your sins. The spots or blemishes of unrighteousness. And the only way to be found by him without spot or blemish is first to be found in him and in his righteousness. Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, might, that he Christ, might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? Why did, why did Jesus do all this? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You say, well, Gary, if Christ has done all this for me, then do I really need to do anything else? 
And Peter says, yes, you want to be found by him. You want for when he shows up to be in that place that shows that your conduct matches your identity. When Christ returns or when you finish your race, you want to be found by the Lord walking in godliness and holiness versus walking in sin and unrighteousness. You see, you want to be found by Christ. I mean, just imagine for a minute that the Lord came knocking at your door this afternoon. What would you want him to find you doing? What would you not want him to find you doing? You want to be found loving Christ, submitting to Christ, obeying Christ, honoring Christ, sharing Christ with others, not ashamed of the gospel, doing the will of God from your heart, whether it's in Puerto Rico or Chicago or right where you live, right where you work, in your own home. So that's the first thing that Peter says. I want you to finish strong. Secondly, reach others. Reach others. Peter tells us that finishing the race involves having a concern for those who are lost. Verse 15, 16, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We covered this earlier a couple weeks ago when we looked at the perceived slowness of God. Why is God taking so long to, why is the Father's taking so long to send the Son back to our planet? Why has the second coming of Christ been delayed 2,000 years? And we saw that the only reason is the patience of God in not wanting people to perish. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so... You and I who know the Lord, we are to count the patience of our Lord, get this, as an extended opportunity for people to be saved. We who've come to know the Lord are to seek to reach others with the gospel, that they might know Christ the way you know Christ. Paul writes in Romans 2, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Friends, can I just ask you a very simple question for you to roll over in your head and in your heart? Wouldn't you like for someone to be there because of you? Wouldn't you like for someone to be there because of you? Because you planted some seeds, because you watered seeds, or because you were one at the end of that whole process and you actually got to bring in some of the harvest. Think about the people that you would like to be there because of you, because you ran your race really, really well. Because I ran my race, someone came and joined me running. Make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. Ask God to show you what's going on in the lives of people around you. Ask God to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear. People at work, people in your neighborhood, extended family members. Lord, make me, help me to be sensitive to what you are already, you're already working in somebody's life. I just need to join you in wherever it is that you happen to be working. 
seed planting, seed watering, fruit gathering. Ask God for boldness. May the Spirit of God soften our hearts and loosen our tongues and fill our eyes with tears as we're being expressed by some of the Puerto Rico team that we might bring hope to others. The third thing Peter tells us here, get grounded. And this is where he endorses all the letters written by the Apostle Paul, which is pretty cool. Peter, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, says, by the way, all these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, they're really, really good, even though some things in them are hard to understand. He's endorsing another apostle. He's endorsing, basically, the apostle Paul was used by God to write more New Testament scripture than any other person. And so Peter is is putting his stamp of approval on everything that the apostle Paul wrote. And he says that some things in Paul's letters are hard to understand. Would you all agree with that? Just a few things, right? Kind of hard to wrap your head around. But would you not expect that? We're talking about the word of God. I mean, are there things in the rest of the Bible that you have trouble understanding? I mean, do you really understand how God created the world and billions upon billions of galaxies out of nothing? Do you understand that? Do you understand God in three persons, blessed Trinity? You, you, have you got your head wrapped around that one? Can we perfectly understand how the eternal Son of God could relegate himself to the point of experiencing conception in the womb of a young girl named Mary? How he could take on flesh? How he could submit himself to being raised by human parents? And then to human authorities who would mock him and kill him? Can you wrap your head around that? Can you perfectly understand the key doctrines of our faith? Election, predestination, justification, redemption, adoption, sanctification, glorification. Big words, but folks, they're filled with richness. But do you fully comprehend what all of those stand for and mean and involve? You see, I think the whole deal in its entirety, not just the things that Paul wrote that are hard to understand, I think the whole deal should just leave us in a sense of awe and wonder every time you open this book. And so, yes, there's a lot in Paul that is hard to understand, but... Here's the, here's the other side of it all. There's a lot in Paul that's easy to understand. There's a lot in the Bible that's awfully easy to understand. I mean, so much so that a young child can get it. So much so that a Jesse Brooks can get it. You see, you don't have to have a PhD to get the gospel. You just have to have childlike faith. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's pretty simple. You see, for me, it is this crazy combination of 
easy to understand and hard to understand that is all mixed together in this book that convinces me this has to be from God. No one else would be able to do that. You see, it's two plus two equals four and E equals MC squared in the same book. It's twinkle, twinkle, little star and a PhD in astronomy and cosmology in the same book. You see, friends, it's, it's the juxtaposition and mixture of all of that together that convinces me this is the divinely inspired word of God. And it is that reality that allows me to take those things by Paul or anybody else that are hard to understand and say, I can live with those. I can live with those. Because it convinces me that it's God's book. And that's what will keep you, Peter says, from taking things that are hard to understand and twisting them to your own destruction. Because whenever you add to the word of God, whenever you subtract from the word of God, whenever you twist a part of the word of God so that you can fit it into your little compartments, you are diminishing scripture. And when you diminish scripture, you are diminishing the author of scripture. And you will always do that to your own destruction. And so, what do you want to do? What do you need to do? Well, you need day by day to get better grounded in God's Word. Get grounded. You see, it's my job, it's Will's job, it's Bible teacher's jobs, Sunday school teacher's job to preach and teach the word, to exhort and, and, and give it clear understanding, to help, to help you understand from, from, from our study, we're, we're, we're given the task to study the scriptures, devote ourselves to the word of God, and then do our best to teach it and preach it and explain it and exhort, make it as clear as we can possibly make it. But brothers and sisters, it is your responsibility to ground yourself in Scripture, to ground yourself in truth, so that you will not be carried away by lawless people, people without the law, people without the word, people who do twist the Scriptures. And also, you just want to ground yourself in the Scriptures just so you can delight, so that there will be times where you're just reading the word and you just, you're just blown away with delight and wonder and awe and amazement that God would do such great things. So please, please, please do not give yourself easy outs from reading and studying the word of God. Add that, if that discipline is not in your life, get it going. Make it a part of your daily habit to be in the word. Get grounded. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And the last thing that Peter tells us in his final words in order to finish the race Keep growing, and specifically growing in grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior kind of goes back to the getting grounded. What I want to emphasize here is growing in grace. What does growing in grace mean? What does that look like? Well, it's an admonition. Peter is saying, as you realize more and more the days in which we live, as you come to understand that Christ is going to come a second time, as you are increasingly convinced that the world as you now know it is going to be dissolved and there's going to be a new earth, all of this is coming to an end at some point. Peter says, you are to grow in God's grace. And so stability comes from growing. Now, I was out in my yard a couple days ago, and I, you know how acorns drop, and suddenly you got this little tiny shoot of an acorn sapling thing popping up out of your yard, and I've got several of those, and I basically just rip them out by the roots and get rid of them because I don't want to mess them up. But show you a picture. You got the sapling, and then you've got, oh, maybe a two-year-old oak tree, and then you've got this massive, sturdy oak tree where you know that the roots go down deep and they spread out, and as a result of the root structure, you've got branches that can carry a lot of weight. Which one are you? Which one are you? And which one do you want to be? Grow in grace, Peter says. Now last week I introduced you to J.C. Ryle's book on holiness. And in his book he has a whole chapter just on this. Growing in grace. He begins by defining what he means by the idea of a person growing in grace, as Peter says we are to do. Grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Ryle writes. When I speak of a man growing in grace, I mean simply this, that his sense of sin is becoming deeper, his faith stronger, his hope brighter, his love more extensive, his spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart. He manifests more of it in his life. He is going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from grace to grace. So that's a That's his description of what it means for a man or a woman or a young person to be growing in grace. Then he gives what he sees from the scriptures as the marks of a person who is growing in grace. Let me give these to you. In other words, there should be be markers of growing in grace, right? You know, my my grandsons are, you you can see markers of growth in their lives. They're getting taller. They're getting stronger. They're able to do things now that they couldn't do two, three years ago. They're growing physically. They're growing mentally. You can measure growth in a a child's life. Peter is saying you can also measure growth in a Christian's life. And that's what Ryle tries to do from the scriptures here. What are the marks of a person who's growing in grace? First of all, he says there's going to be increased humility. The man, he writes this, the man whose soul is growing feels his own sinfulness and unworthiness more every year. 
The nearer he draws to God and the more he sees of God's holiness and perfection, the more thoroughly is he sensible of his own countless imperfections. Increased humility. Secondly, increased faith and love toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Ryle writes, as he grows in grace, he sees a thousand things in Christ of which at first he never dreams. Thirdly, increased holiness of life and conversation. Again, he writes, the man whose soul is growing gets more dominion over sin, the world, and the devil every year. So that's a way for you to measure, do you have more control over the world and sin and the devil now than you did a year ago? He becomes more careful about his temper, his words, his actions. He strives more to be conformed to the image of Christ in all things. Fourth, increased spirituality of taste and mind. Ryle writes, he takes more interest in spiritual things every year. The ways and fashions and amusements and recreations of this world have a continually decreasing place in his heart. He does not condemn them as downright sinful, nor say that those who have anything to do with them are going to hell. No, he only feels that they have a constantly diminishing hold on his affections. Does that make sense? You're understanding that your desire and interest in the things of God and the, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, oh, when that's happening in your life, the things of this world start to diminish. The things of earth grow strangely dim, the songwriter says. Next, increased charity. That just means increased love. He is more full of love every year. Love to all men, but especially love towards the brothers. And then lastly, increased zeal and diligence in trying to do good to souls. He will take greater interest in the salvation of the lost every year. Missions, whether at home or abroad, and efforts to increase light and diminish darkness. That's Chicago. That's Puerto Rico. That's whatever it is that you are called to do when you run your race. You're called to bring more light where there's darkness. And if you are growing in grace, you will have a greater awareness of these things and a greater desire to bring light where there's darkness. Then, lastly, J.C. Ryle spells out the means to be used in order to grow in grace. Okay? Let me give these to you and we'll wrap it up. First of all, he says there must be diligence. And we're back to that word diligent. 2 Peter 3.14. Beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Ryle says, diligence in the use of private means of grace. What does that mean? Anybody want to guess? Diligence in the use of private means of grace. Huh? Prayer. Reading the word. Self-examination. Meditation. Those things that you're able to do privately. Secondly, carefulness in the use of public means of grace. What are public means of grace? Well, one of them is right here, what you're doing right here. Regular Sunday worship. We began the year, you may recall, we began the year with three messages on 
15 reasons why you should be with the gathered church every week, okay? I gave you 15 reasons why you need this. And one of, one of the main reasons is because you want to grow in grace. Regular Sunday worship, uniting with God's people in prayer and praise, the preaching of the word and the Lord's Supper, Ryle lists as public means of grace. Next on the list, watchfulness over one's conduct in the little matters of everyday life. Watchfulness in just the way you live your days. I like what he says here. Ryle writes, Life is made up of days, days are made up of hours, and the little things of every hour are never so little as to be beneath the care of a Christian. And so you're watching your hours. You're watching how you use your time. You're watching how you, how you, how, what relationships you have with other people. Thirdly, caution about the company we keep and the friendships we form be careful about the company you keep. Be careful about, and students, I would say this to you, you will become like those you hang with. And so make sure that you're hanging with the right crowd. And the same with adults, by the way, you know, who, have, who you happen to be hanging with at work or after work. Be, be cautious about the company we keep. That'll, that's growing in grace. And then lastly, regular and habitual communion with the Lord Jesus. And by that, Rao means it is communion of fellowship between the saint and his savior, between the bridegroom and his bride, between the physician and his patients, between the advocate and his clients, between the shepherd and his sheep. If you are growing in grace, friends, you will desire greater intimacy with Christ. You will, you will cherish times with Jesus more than you used to. Finish strong. Reach others. Get grounded. Keep growing. And you say, okay, Pastor Gary, what's the end result of all this? Well, that's the last sentence. The last sentence that we're going to look at from... 2 Peter 3, verse 18. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To him be the glory. See, it's all about God's glory. All of this is about God's glory. It's not about my glory. It's not about your glory. It's not about our glory. It's about God's glory. The Puerto Rico team did what they did, not for their glory, not for the glory of West Hills, but for God's glory. The students went to Chicago, not for their glory, not for West Hills' glory, but for God's glory. And as you run your race, depending about whatever your calling is, see, some of us, I'm called to be a pastor. Some of you are called in, into, the, into the workplace to do whatever. Some of you are called into medicine or you know, whatever it happens to be. Whatever your calling is, it's a holy calling to be used for the glory of God. And so Peter says, to him be the glory through the saints. If you want your life to have lasting, eternal significance, regardless of your calling, live each day for the glory of God. Amen? Thus the end of Second Peter.
Praise God for his word. Thank God for teaching us through these books these last few months. I'm going to pray together, and then we're going to sing a song of praise to the Lord. Bow with me, please. Perhaps one of those four admonitions is especially speaking to you today. Would you just turn it into a prayer? Turn it into a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Peter and how you called him and used him to strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. And it continues today. I pray for myself. I pray for my family. I pray for my church family, Lord that we would finish strong. That we would reach others. That we would be a grounded people. Grounded in the truth. And that we would keep growing. Keep growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. For your glory, not for ours. All glory be to you. This is our prayer. God's people agreed by saying, 